Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised, press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. So, Anya, what do we watch? Oh, you beat me to the punch. I let you win. Uh, well, Kevin, we just watched L.A. Confidential. So, what year was this made? Who stars in it? Desperately typing some things on my phone. Um, it was made in, or it was released in 1997. Stars Russell Crowe, Guy Pierce, James Cromwell. Danny DeVito, Kim Basinger, David Strathairn, 
Straight horn? And then Kevin Spacey. <clears throat> I know there's a name there that you uh, kind of passed over a bit. Yeah. Noted sex pest. LA Confidential. So what uh this was not the first time either one of us has seen this film. No. Share with us, if you will, for once in your life, share with us <laughs> the history <laughs> of your relationship with this work. Well, I watched it in college at some point. I don't e I couldn't even tell you the context, but I remember I think I was looking up like good mystery films or you know, some nerdy shit like that, as I was wont to do. And this one was recommended and I watched it and I was like Fuck yeah. And then I tried to read the book and I was, uh, I couldn't get through it. It was too dense for me. I was, maybe I, I always felt like it was one of those books, like maybe I didn't hit it at the right time and maybe I can go back and try it again and really get into it. But for whatever reason, first go was not successful. You're going to give it another shot. Yeah. I'm so gonna the, it's it. on the shelf behind you, even as we it's speak. It's right. I'm turning, I'm looking at it. It's somewhere, it's somewhere <laughs> in there. It's somewhere in a very large and crowded shelf. Um, but yeah, no, it's, 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 I, I have positive things to say here. Uh, I saw it in the theater when it was released. Uh, I read the book. Uh, I liked it at the time. I have very little memory of it now. I remember there was some sort of Disneyland inspired subplot that is not in the film. Probably, probably smart to not include that. So if you wanted to do, it's already, it's already two hours. If you wanted to do like a noir story with the Disneyland characters, tell me how you'd do it. Forget it, Goofy. It's Animal Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't want to, I guess is the answer. Is, is Mickey your tortured leader or to be Donald? Gotta be Donald, obviously. He's got so much anger. So then like, uh, Daisy Duck is the is the femme fatale of the picture. Yeah, I guess so. Walking around in slinky outfits. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this anymore, Kevin. Laying out seductive little quacks. What's what are you doing? <laughs> who is this? Uh, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you? Well, you said it was it was just as well they they don't have the Disneyland plot. Yeah, I think that maybe was... it would have been delightful. Listen, it's already two hours. There's a lot going on here. I think I think you got to cut some stuff, cut it down. You can't have everything in a in a book. It doesn't. Books and movies are very different. I think I think in this case it was probably smart to maybe lean, you know, make it a little leaner because there's already a lot of stuff going on, and adding a bunch of shit to that just we're already we're already we're already crammed full. At crammed this, full. Yeah, at this point, so. Uh, well, yeah, I'll be curious to get your take about whether it held up to your kind of previous high praise. I know for me personally, there were a couple of things, name a Kevin Spacey, that jarred me. And then there were some other plot things that I had more of a... But generally, generally the things that I liked the first time, I really liked the second time. And, and so that some things, I, I generally enjoyed it. So you're a fan. You're an Elroy head. <laughs> yes. And and you? Uh, I thought it was very stylish. I liked the look and the vibe of the film. Uh, 
some aspects of it I thought held up really well. Some, uh, spoiler, it ends with like a big shootout. And anytime a movie ends with a big shootout, it just feels like a cheap and cliched thing to do. See, I did, I love the shootout. So we, we had very different opinions on the shootout. Very different opinions on I the shootout. I think we're going to shoot it out here in a few minutes when we talk about it. <laughs> it just seems like a cliched thing we've seen in many, many movies. I guess give the people what they want. That's what I say. Bread and circuses. <laughs> Annie Antoinette. That, no. Love the meat cake. Jesus Christ. Let's try to bounce back from that. Bounce back from that slander. So, uh... Because she never actually said that, guys. Marie Antoinette was framed. Um, Interesting that Annie Antoinette defends Marie Antoinette. I, this is a this household defends Marie Antoinette. Okay, so that that's it. That's all we'll say about that. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, you you wouldn't get it. So, so okay. So basically, this movie opens up with this kind of sleazy tabloid publisher guy, Danny DeVito, who has a magazine called Hush Hush. He's he's kind of given a narration about what L- L.A. is like. I thought they could have gone with a more effective opening, to be honest. You're kind of like, all right, yeah. L.A., oh, L.A. seems really glitzy on the outside, but it's actually kind of seedy. What? But, you know, I don't know. It, 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 it grows on you from there. Uh... <laughs> And he's basically, like, kind of this guy who keeps publishing all this shit. And, like, he has this deal uh, with the Kevin Spacey character. Jake Vincennes. Jack, Vin- Jack Vincennes. Who, uh, Jack Vincennes works as the technical advisor on Dragnet. Yeah. Only it's called Badge of Honor on the show. And they have, like, a deal where, like, he'll get good press busting people if he gives him a tip-off about these busts that he that the publisher then uses to like ruin people's lives for smoking marijuana or stuff so and then so he's one of so this this movie all so, centers, so no 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 wait this movie centers around three cops jack i, I, I want to talk about them. the press thing we're, we're supposed to basically in this sequence it's depicted as low class on the part of devito and uh kevin spacey to participate in this thing of arresting people for violating drug laws. But is it that really the fault of the press or is it the fault of the government for having laws that could wreck people's lives if they're enforced? I mean, I think you're picking up on like the broader issue that the law is obviously unfair and problematic, but in this instance, they're specifically targeting people who will who they can they it's basically like a setup. They, they survey people and uh, haul them out in front of the press in a, in a manner that uh, basically the press is paying the cop off in order to do so. So money is exchanging hands in order to make this work. So you could argue that there's some systematic problems here for sure that's contributing and enabling these people to take advantage of it. But, yeah, they're, still, I- but they're still behaving in a predatory manner. Yeah, I wouldn't dispute that. I guess I just say that if there's a problem here, the systematic problem here isn't the press reporting on something. 
It's what's being reported on. Yes, but the press and a responsible. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't characterize what Danny DeVito is doing in this movie as being part of the press. He's he's essentially a a, a grifter who is achieving his means and running some sort of like sham of a newspaper through bribery, blackmail, and other assorted crimes. So how's that different from the press? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's how it's different. <laughs> he's literally doing crimes and he's he's kind of he's not he's not a objectively reporting stuff. He's he's doing He's not sitting there being like, I really think drugs are an issue. He's saying this is gonna, yeah. He he's he's a bad guy. I don't. He's not part of the fourth estate. I officially expel Danny DeVito in this movie specifically uh, out of there. That's you shouldn't be bribing cops as part of your journalistic duties and to give people the impression. I don't think this movie is supposed to give people the impression that that's journalism. There are two journalists who do do their jobs correctly in this movie but they are not Danny DeVito <laughs> I don't know who those gentlemen are but they're they're actually speaking they start off by writing kind of a puff piece about the police and then things take a turn <laughs> as we will see which I believe is based on a true incident a real incident it was called uh, the it was uh, the bloody Christmas of 1951 uh i I don't it obviously the uh the incident didn't go down exactly as described in this movie but uh there is a there is a historical basis for uh the sort of inciting incident in this picture um but anyways bouncing uh, can we hit, hit our next detective the central trio sure so the next one is Russell Crowe. He's playing Officer Bud White. He's like the kind of a very physical, angry, aggressive cop in this. He He's introduced basically uh, spying on a house where a guy is beating his wife and he goes in and uh, beats the shit out of the guy who's beating his wife. He has a problem with people hitting women. That's his whole, that's his whole personality, I guess. But he's also very violent. And then the third guy is Guy Pierce playing Edmund Exley. He's sort of a ambitious young sergeant who is on duty that Christmas. Um, you know, basically, his dad was a famous detective who was murdered. The case was never solved. And he's kind of like one of those people who's primed to excel because, you know, he's tested very well on his lieutenant's exam and such. And he's sort of a political animal almost. And you liked him. I liked him. I mean, I think the movie kind of wants us not to like him in the beginning, but in the beginning I was like, all right, <laughs> I salute him, you know, come on. This, so I'll, I'll explain why I like him by explaining basically what happens here. Um, based on this initial incident, the, the bloody Christmas of 1951, basically some officers previously had been like attacked in like some sort of brawl. And, Received minor minor injuries, essentially. Like, no no one was seriously hurt. But when the people, the people who were who arrested for that brawl, who were, who were largely Mexican, of Mexican descent, were brought into an LAPD precinct that night and jailed, a bunch of officers 
and police personnel who had gotten drunk at the Christmas party going on basically got into the jail cells and beat these people, you know? I mean, so it was a very, I mean, it was a huge scandal for the LAPD, which of course is, you know, has had its fair share of massive scandals throughout history. And, uh, you know, it, you know, it raises all sorts of questions about racism in policing and brutality and sort of people getting away with stuff behind closed doors. But in the for the purposes of this movie, it basically serves to get Bud, uh, Russell Crowe's partner, fired because he's one of the main instigators beating up these guys in the jail cells. Uh, it also gets Jack Vincennes. I don't remember what the actor playing him was named. Uh, Kevin Spacey. No. Come on. Uh, that's one of the real weaknesses in this now. We're just like, ugh, uncomfortable. Um, he gets him in trouble, and Edmund Exley witnesses it, try to stop, tries to stop it, and then basically, when the when everyone's getting in trouble, basically comes clean about what happened and names names. And so, like, I think the movie wants us to be like, oh, he's a snitch, but I was just kind of like, he's not snitching because they stole paper clips from the, you know office break room they beat a bunch of guys half to death and they shouldn't be police officers anymore good for him is that is that no i mean what did you think yeah i agree with you do you feel like the movie though was kind of kind of like hmm he's a little sketchy for this i think the movie is trying to give you reasons to dislike all of the main characters yeah but i didn't think this was a good one I thought that was. I thought that I thought the movie didn't age well in that sense. Axley is too smart. Uh, Russell Crowe is too thuggish. What would you say uh, Kevin Spacey's character's greatest flaw is? He's he just he's not really a policeman anymore. He's just more consumed with his uh, movie or his uh, television media career. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So one guy's too smart, one guy's too much of a thug, one guy doesn't have enough of a moral compass anymore. Yeah. They're all very flawed. So, I mean, I like that in a, I like that in a movie, but it's like I just think in this case I think I think we're supposed to kind of feel weird about Edmund ratting out his fellow officers, but I think nowadays maybe feelings about that have changed and there's more of a a hope that law enforcement, you know, will have accountable people in it who don't do brutality and also don't cover things up. 
So he was your favorite of the trio? He does some things later on that you're kind of like, okay. But uh, in the beginning, yeah. Definitely. Or they all do stuff later on that you're kind of, yeah. <sighs> yeah, this movie. Um, so what happens next? Uh, oh, I, let's throw into the mysterious encounter because this is important. Okay, why don't you tell us about it? Officer Bud has a mysterious encounter with some men and a woman with a broken nose in a car. And the woman's like, it's not what you think. Get out of here. And also Kim Bassinger or Basinger, who uh, for some reason it's a plot point that she looks <laughs> exactly like Veronica Lake. And she doesn't. This is Kevin's big issue with the... This was like one of your big issues with the film. I don't know why you make that sort of thing a plot point when, you know, if it's a plot point that a character is an expert on Egyptian hieroglyphics, that can be faked. But if it's a plot point... I fake that at my job all the time. Yes. And you faked it when I got engaged to you. But uh, if it's a plot point that a character looks exactly like a celebrity that we know... That doesn't work if the character doesn't look like that. To be honest, Kevin, I think most people, most lay people who are not very into old movies probably just associate Veronica Lake with like the long peekaboo hairstyle with platinum blonde hair. They show a clip of Veronica Lake in the movie. I just, I don't think people are looking at it that hard. Why not invent, uh, you know, you invent a new version of Jack Webb. You invent these other details. Why not invent an a, a glamorous Hollywood actress who was played by Kim Basinger and say, oh, look, here's a hooker who looks just like that other lady. Oh, I kind of like that idea. Yeah. How hard is that to do? And then you could like you could have Kim Kim Basinger or whatever. I don't, I, the, the lead actress have uh, like, you know, like photo shoots and stuff and in a way that kind of. Ties into the film. No, I like your idea. It's a, it's a huge plot point that you can go to this uh, prostitution service and get prostitutes who are, quote, cut to look like famous celebrities. <laughs> and if I go and pay down my hard-earned dollars to get a prostitute cut to look like Veronica Lake, and it's not Veronica Lake, I'm going to be bitterly disappointed. And I feel your other customers would be bitterly disappointed as well in your prostitution business, but go under a daze. Kevin harumphs, I'll take this to the Better Business Bureau. <laughs> now I know what all those one-star Yelp reviews you were leaving when you were in California were all about. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> I'm going to haul your ass out into the front lawn so you can be photographed by the uh, paparazzi at Hush Hush. Yes. I'm watching this thinking about well, like the themes of knowing and crime and how that impacts people. And you're sitting here being like, those prostitutes don't, <laughs> don't make the grade for me. The two genders. The two she genders. She doesn't look a thing like oh Veronica Lake. She's a human woman with blonde hair. And so was Veronica Lake. <laughs> <laughs> it 
if you were part of the gentleman gigolos cut to look like Hollywood studs, who would you be? You tell me. You know me and you I know Hollywood. I, I don't know. Well, that would suck if, like, if, if Wally you, Cox. <laughs> who's that? <laughs> that would suck if they were like, okay, you're you're uh, you're more of a character actress than than a leading lady. And then uh, Kim Basinger says that uh, Kim Basinger. I'm sorry. How do we pronounce this woman's name? Oh no, that's Wally Cox. That's Wally Cox. <laughs> Women will be ringing your, knocking down your door then. You know, he is said to have had an affair with Marlon Brando. Oh. Okay. Good luck with your new career, Kevin. Who would you say I look most like? I don't know. I don't know old Hollywood to that degree. And I don't want to say anything upsetting. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I don't know. It's it's such a it's like when it's a concept for ladies it's kind of like ooh that's kind of creepy but sexy mysterious and when it's a concept for fellas it just becomes utterly ridiculous. Like if there was a prostitution service that said, <laughs> "Call us, ladies, and we're set you up with a guy that looks like William Powell," would you be like dialing that number in a hurry <laughs> if you were single? No, no, because that's dumb. Clark Gable. <laughs> Wasn't he like in real life a rapist? <laughs> Maybe you're thinking about Errol Flynn. No, definitely not. Not into Nazis. <laughs> I'm a very choosy woman. Maybe maybe William Powell. <laughs> 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 Seemed like a nice guy. So do you want your celebrity past to be William Powell? My my celebrity imposter male gigolo to be the William Powell gigolo. That's not what we said. I'm sorry. I don't know what you were saying at this point. It's off the rails. If you have a pass to be intimate with a celebrity. I don't want a pass. I'm married to you. William Powell's dead. That's a pretty easy pass to No, but uh, what? (laughs) Let's let it go. You're giving me a pass to cheat on you with a dead celebrity. (laughs) I'm very generous. Kevin, I'd rip up the pass. And probably call the police on this creepy male gigolo service. I don't need a pass from you. You're my sweetie. Do you think a prostitution service like this... Is sustainable? No. Do you exist in the real world? Maybe in the 50s in Hollywood. It's certainly a good kind of plot device because it's like, oh, everything's not as it seems. You know, and it's all glitz and glamour, but it's real dirty stuff underneath. Have you ever seen a good celebrity lookalike or impersonator? No. Also, I don't, uh, I don't, I could see a certain type of guy being like, oh, yeah, I'm fucking, you know, these fancy ladies and, you know, it's not real. Now, it was free, so I didn't pay for it. But I did take a young lady on a first date to see an Elvis impersonator. And it wasn't the least bit convincing. And she never spoke to you again. Is that is how that ends, right? No, we were dear friends for a number of years. Oh, my God. Can you imagine ladies and gentlemen, 
you're you're on a date with a new person and they insist that you go to a fucking Elvis impersonator. Now that's not course. how it was. That's what that's the Kevin Greenlee experience. That's what I'm treated to every day. <laughs> oh my god. I saw an ad in the paper and I and I talked to this young lady. I said, Oh, doesn't this sound like really funny and ridiculous? And she said, Well, I think it sounds funny and ridiculous too. Hey. Why don't we go together, Kevin? So it was her idea. I was a dupe of me. I think, so. we're, I think we're seeing. I think we're seeing Kevin vision here through, through <laughs> Kevin's eyes. And the real version is he stumbled over to this miss, looking all sweaty, being like, "Do you want to go to the Elvis concert with me?" It's not really Elvis. She was like, oh, "Okay," <laughs> and then he stomped away. <laughs> In your version, it was like, "Oh." fake Elvis and she was like fuck yeah that's just how it was <laughs> very self-serving <laughs> which are there celebrity impersonators no. that you'd be interested in seeing nope you'd never go see Beatle impersonators in concert no the fuck would I want to pay my there's actual bands that are still together that I could pay money to go see you know so why not do that? Talking about the Oak Ridge Boys. What? <laughs> I, I, I don't like that stuff. I think it's sad. It makes me sad. I mean, I guess if make makes some people happy, that's nice for them. But I just think it's kind of sad. It's like trying to recapture a former glory or something. So even if you were single and footloose and fancy free, you wouldn't be using this. Service. Oh, I'm still pretty footloose, babe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, I, I, I would, I don't, I don't think I would ever hit a point in my life where I would, I would like, need to use a prostitution service to get off. <laughs> if 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 things were going that poorly in the dating department, I'd probably just quit and become a hermit or something. That would be better than. Hiring out a William Powell lookalike for the night. I can leave with some dignity. All right, fellas, I see that you're not liking what I'm putting out there. That's fine. I'm just gonna go live in the woods now. I don't need to. I don't need to do any do any of that prostitution stuff. <laughs> Well, thank you. It hasn't come to that because you you've you have a husband who adores you. Although I did meet you while you were a William Powell impersonating Gigolo, so I don't know. Maybe maybe things have gone to, gone bad. <laughs> and we do live out in the woods, so both bad things happened in this reality. <laughs> oh man. This movie has a really complicated plot. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's three kind of main detective guys, and the crime itself is very complicated. How are we going to talk about this? We're too stupid to even talk about the, the prostitutes and gigolos in a fucking sensible way. How are we going to tackle L.A. Confidential? We're really hitting. We're punching above our weight here, guys. <laughs> 
Um, so let's maybe get to the crime that's the center, which ironically is something that we cover in our other podcast, The Murder Sheet, which is all, its first season is all about, it's a true crime podcast. Give it a listen. We're, we've very different from very this different from this. You, if you like this silliness, you won't have a good time. We're very serious. It's all about the research, and uh, but the first season is about restaurant-related murders. So this, the crime in this looks eerily familiar to Kevin and I because this is what we cover. Um, it's a it's a shooting, a massacre at the Night Owl, which is like a late night coffee shop, and um, one of the victims is Bud White's partner who got fired over the bloody Christmas situation. Oh, and the, can I just pause this for the journalists I referenced earlier were the journalists who were writing a puff piece about the cops on Christmas, then they turned back and then they took photos of the cops beating the prisoners. That's who I was talking about. They're the good journalists in this. We don't need to defend Danny DeVito here. So it sounds like these journalists were trying to be their, the cops' friends and then turned on them. It kind of sounds like any journalist who's not full of himself would have to admit, what's that line? Janet Malcolm line? The line of go fuck yourself? <laughs> or the line of I'm a Jeffrey McDonald groupie masquerading as an intellectual? <laughs> we can let it go. <laughs> Janet Malcolm sucks. And also, uh, well, here's my here's my thinking. They were not pretending to be the cops' friends. They came there to write a story about them. But in a situation where you literally see the cops beating prisoners in cages, then I think you can drop the puff piece and do your duty and report to the civilians who read your paper what you witnessed. You bore witness to something very bad, and nobody made the cops start doing that in front of you. So those journalists... Played by the book. They were up front. We just want to write a puff piece about you guys. And then the cops started acting like insane people in front of them. And they documented that. They were responsible. So if like, you went to do a puff piece on somebody who runs some multinational retail store. Uh, and I came in and they just shot their butler. Hell yeah, I'd report that they shot their butler. To do otherwise would be to do journalistic malpractice. Here, here's, here's, here's the question. If you're a physician... And you go in and you're just supposed to treat somebody's broken arm, but they start, you know, having a heart attack or they start choking on something. You're not going to be like, well, I, I better focus on this arm first. Excuse me while I do that. Right. You're going to deal with the situation at hand. So those journalists were the. They were the heroes. They in were the book. real heroes. <laughs> They weren't really developed as characters. No, but I mean, I just wanted to give them a shout out. And because I also talked about the journalist earlier, but now right. we've breezed past the whole beginning because <laughs> it's too complicated to get the into. The whole movie is too complicated. <laughs> How do we talk about this? Okay, so this, this, uh, this, the, so the, the guy who got fired, he's one of the victims, and so is, quite mysteriously, the young woman with the broken nose that Officer Bud White saw the night of Bloody Christmas. So that's a little weird. You know, and they're all they're all dead. It's a gruesome scene. It's I thought it was very effective because you see, uh, Ed is the responding officer to it. He's leveraged the bloody Christmas scenario to get a big promotion. Now Ed's the responding officer, but for some reason, mm. his superior, one Dudley White, played by veteran character actor James Cromwell, best known for playing uh, 
Jack Bauer's father on the hit show 24, he comes in and says, even though you're the responding officer, I'm going to take this case. And there's nothing suspicious about this, but I'm going to take the case. I didn't, I, I think it's not that suspicious for a senior officer to take a, what's going to be a massive homicide. That didn't seem suspicious to me on the first watch. Right. I was just like, that's probably pretty good. Like, oh, do we want to have the guy who just got hired do it? Or do we want to have the person who knows what they're doing do it? Which one's easier to explain later? So you thought it was strictly above board. I thought it was so above board. I was I was applauding them, shaking their hands. <laughs> you jumped out of your seat and cheered. <laughs> it's an and then you turned to me, you punched the air, you said, Kevin, that's how it's done. I love this movie though, because it feels like it feels like a real it feels like torn from the pages of a real crime that could have happened. You know what I mean? mysterious late night massacre at a little coffee shop. You know, all the bodies are in the bathroom, except for the chef who's behind the counter. I mean, like that just sounds, it just feels real. Sounds like something we'd cover. Yeah. So it sounds like something we literally cover. So I like that. I like that a lot. And this, and this basically incident is the, the kind of the center of what the whole movie hinges on. What exactly happened? Who killed these people? Why? Why are there so many quinces that lead back to the night owl? Why, Kevin? Why? Tell well, me. Do you want me to say? No, no. I'm just, I'm pretending to interrogate you like, like they did in the movie. Yeah, you fancy yourself quite the interrogator. What do you mean I fancy? What? Oh, yeah, I go around <laughs> interrogating. What are you talking about? Elucidate me. I can never get away with anything. I don't fancy myself anything. Just because you crack under the slightest pressure doesn't mean that I'm a good interrogator. A child could do that to you. You have this huge bright light <laughs> in the front room that you always point at me. You have that this bizarre two-way mirror. I don't even know who's on the other side of it. I don't want to know. The William Powell gigolo. <laughs> he and I have teamed up to take you down. And then you do this this good cop, bad cop routine where it's just you literally wearing different hats. That fools nobody. Sometimes Lanny comes in to be the lieutenant who calls me out. Take a break. Walk it off. Lanny, of course, is our dog. <laughs> she talks sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you just, you just go to tears on it. I mean, now I know why, because you're under the strain of frequenting all those prostitutes in L.A. and leaving them one-star reviews for not being quite up to snuff, up to what they promised you. Leaving all these fucking... Consumer complaints. So in this universe, did I go to these prostitutes before I met you or during oh, our marriage? All throughout. <laughs> so I periodically say, oh, uh, honey, I'm going to go out for milk and I'll be out go for like LA. a day because I fly to L.A. <laughs> during COVID <laughs> and try to repeatedly use this prostitution service. You keep getting burned on. For old-timey stars that are no longer alive or relevant. So I'm cheating on you in this universe. Oh no, you'd never. Well, in, my, in your universe, I'm teaming up with a William Powell gigolo to take you down and psychologically torture you throughout the day while talking to our dog. So obviously I'm psychotic in your universe. 
and I guess also in my universe, you're, you're also using a prostitute who looks like John Ratzenberger. <laughs> you almost got me a John Ratzenberger cameo for Valentine's Day. Let it be known. This is what I'm dealing with. <laughs> Even though real world Anya has no interest whatsoever in John Ratzenberger. Just because of a gag we did on Mystery to Me a few episodes back. That was going to be my Valentine's Day gift. This is what... No wonder I'm hanging by a thread. (laughs) (laughs) It's appalling. (laughs) Okay, let me just... Let me me hunker down on these (laughs) notes for a minute and try to figure out where the fuck we are. So let's let's speed through let's speed through the next part because I think the fun stuff to talk about is sort of like when we get to the end and it's like the conclusion and we can look back with on the it. like the, the the cheating and the shootouts. Yeah. So basically, quickly, the investigation centers on a trio of young men. They happen to be black, and they were known to like fire off some shotguns. So everyone's going after them. They get them, they interrogate them, the guys reveal that they have raped and kidnapped a young woman, and the cops go in and rescue her, and then those the trio of young men escape, and then they are in a shootout with Ed and another police officer who was killed, and then the three young men are killed as well. So, oh, Night Owl happened. These guys did it. They also were rapists. So, case closed. No worries. And everyone gets happy. Uh, Bud starts seeing. uh, That's Russell Crowe. Yeah, Russell Crowe starts seeing the Veronica Lake prostitute. And they have a relationship. And he says he doesn't care that she's working as a prostitute. Because he gets her when she's being real. Whatever her name is. Not Veronica Lake, obviously. What a great line. Whatever. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> and then and Edmund gets a bunch of promotions for the shootout and all this stuff, and he's doing well. And meanwhile, Jack Vincennes gets to go back to his TV show now that he's gotten over his wrist slap in the case of the uh, Bloody Christmas. So everyone's happy. And then the movie's not over. There's like an hour left. So you know shit's about to go down for real. That's one thing I like about this movie because, like, there's so many cases – I mean, it's, I just love a good story where it's like, okay, here's the initial crime. We solved it, da 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 but then something doesn't feel right, and we have to find the real truth. I like that. I like, I like, like, a true detective situation, you know? Like, okay, we all patted ourselves on the back. We all figured it out. But wait, what's the story underneath the story? That's going revo- to reveal something even more traumatizing about society and man and da 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 So, all of these men start to feel like something's wrong, that maybe the three initial suspects were sort of set up to be the fall guys for something larger. And in a very ironic, unfortunately, and disturbing twist, um, Jack Vincennes, played by Kevin Spacey, is uh, basically caught up in something earlier in the film we saw him arrest this couple who were smoking pot 
and you know do it with the intent to like get it on the front page of hush hush and blah 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 in in connection with danny devito they're like collaborating essentially and then he meets the young man who he arrested and it turns out his life's been ruined his movie career his uh, tv career is dried up so now he's forced to basically be a prostitute and go sleep with the da so that the hush hush guy can get the da um you know blackmail him essentially so he starts to feel bad about that then he goes to see the guy later on and this young man has been murdered no no here's the thing i mean kevin spacey doing a role where he's basically starting to feel guilt and start to try to avenge a young man who was preyed upon by the hollywood system and and sexually harassed and whatnot is kind of gross to watch <laughs> you know given given the stuff that he was accused of by a number of young men so it's kind of like that sort of sours you on on this aspect of the movie to, to to at least for me personally i don't know what kevin was thinking but if he wants to share <laughs> now's his chance so wouldn't it be great if they could like go through and cgi like anthony quinn in his place <laughs> yeah well, who was the guy they replaced him with in uh, yeah, I was trying to remember. All the money in the world. It wasn't Anthony Quinn, was it? Christopher something. <sighs> yeah. Christopher Plummer. So, yeah, wouldn't it be great that you could go through and CGI and replace him with uh, Christopher Plummer? Yeah, that would be that would be nice. And it's it, I mean, like maybe in I don't I don't know. I don't I haven't watched a lot of Kevin Spacey movies since some of those allegations came out, but like it's one of those things that's like because this role is specifically tied to that subplot that features the predation on this young man, it sort of feels like it's like yeah, you know. It's like especially icky because of that. So it becomes important that uh, Axley and uh, Kevin Spacey talk, and Axley says, gosh, Kevin Spacey, why did you become a cop? And Kevin Spacey says, oh, I don't know. How about you, Ed Axley? And Ed Axley says, I became a cop because of Rollo Tomasi. And it turns out Rollo Tomasi is a fictitious, crazy name that Axley picked out to represent the bad people who get away with things. And so the name sticks in Kevin Spacey's mind. Because his dad was killed by unnamed people. Yeah, you, that detail doesn't even matter. So uh, the name sticks in Kevin Spacey's mind. Kevin Spacey starts getting information because uh, a, a body is discovered. It's the body of a former police officer. So even before he goes to talk to Exley about it, he goes to talk about it with his superior one Dudley Smith, who is played by a veteran character actor, uh, James Cromwell, who is perhaps best known as playing uh, the father, the farmer, rather, in the Babe movies. <laughs> and so he goes to him and he says, I've got this information. It's really hot. And he tells him the information. And then James Cromwell shoots him. And before Kevin Spacey dies, he says, Roll Tomasi, you. And basically... Uh, when, when, you know, Jack Vincennes getting murdered is a big deal because he's basically a celebrity cop. So they have a big conference of it with all the LAPD cops. And at the end of it, James 
uh, Dudley goes up to Axley and is basically like, hey, I wanted to ask you about something that Vincennes was running down. You know, ever hear of the name Rolo Tomasi? And Axley instantly becomes suspicious because that's a name he just made up himself. Like that, Nobody should know that name except for Jack Vincennes. And now Jack Vincennes is dead. And his boss is coming to him with this name. So things are not adding up. He's beginning to put things together. Something is very wrong within the L- Something is rotten within the LAPD. And so, yeah, it turns out that uh, the police did the murders of the night owl. The police are very bad. They're corrupt. And, and basically, there's been a series of murders of all these different high-figure drug people. Because the police, this kind of rogue gang of police, are essentially trying to consolidate power in the power vacuum left by Mickey Cohen, famed gangster. So they're trying to get in on this. And so the, the police officer who's in charge of it all is one Dudley Smith, who's played by veteran character actor James Cromwell, perhaps best known for playing Zephram Cochran in uh, Star Trek First Contact. So, Jesus. Go. And uh, meanwhile, and you've kind of seen glimpses of this because he's been having Russell Crowe come to this creepy motel on the edge of Hollywood where they basically beat the shit out of different organized crime figures coming into town and tell them to leave. It's like opposite of like a, you know, like <laughs> it's like opposite so, of a nice hotel. So meanwhile, Ad Axley, Guy Pierce goes to visit this Veronica Lake lookalike and he starts having just a normal, pleasant conversation with her making just basic inquiries, making just basic small talks. Oh, no! Then all of a sudden, he starts kissing her passionately, and for some reason, they have sex. And I didn't understand that. His character up until then is very fastidious. We see his passion, but the passion more seems to be for the job. And it seems to be passion that's largely controlled, and the Veronica Lake lookalike, supposedly, she's still working as a prostitute, but she loves Bud. Russell Crowe, so why would she betray him by having sex with... Don't you say men want sex all, like, all the time and wherever, so if like he saw his opening, he'd probably take it? Did, did the scene work for you? No, it didn't, but I'm just saying it worked for me less with her character because if there was an like this would have been stupid and cliched but if there was like a thing where like some like we we, we kind of learned that somebody got to her and was like if you don't have sex with him so we can blackmail him we'll kill the guy you love. It's stupid and cliche, but at least it makes sense. I don't remember that happening, so it kind of seemed out of nowhere for her. And we do see that someone's photogra- photo, you know, taking pictures outside of him having sex with her. So it just, it, I didn't really get her motivation. His motivation, he seemed very careful about everything and sort of doing things by the book. And it's not like we saw him have a connection with her earlier. So maybe in the book this makes more sense and they build it up see, more. And so another thing is... He's a man who's very careful. So why is he at night in a brightly lit room with all the shades drawn up <laughs> having sex in full view of a man standing there with a camera? When he's aware that there's some weird shit going down. <laughs> I I don't think there's men outside of our house. Now Kev, don't even complete that thought. <laughs> When it, when we have our private family time, shut up. The shades are always discreetly drawn. You don't move another muscle on that line of thought, <laughs> sir. Jesus Christ, you're such a sicko. 
I said, I just remember. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Babbling <laughs> like a fool. You actually threw your phone down. <laughs> you know it's serious when I've thrown my phone down. It's like the gauntlet on our relationship. The thing is, it's like I could maybe buy this if we had some more build up between these two characters or if there was like a connection earlier on. Again, there's so much going on in this movie that it's possibly I'm just forgetting some scene. And it's also possible that the book had more time and air space to kind of like have it be like they had something going on. But like in the context of the movie, it feels a little bit random. Yes. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And frankly, it's not like... Exley just seems just very cool and unflappable the whole time. So it's not like we're seeing him like start to get run down over time by exerting himself too much and he has a moment of weakness. So there were a couple things you could have done. I thought that would have made this made a little more sense, but they didn't. So it kind of just feels out of nowhere and it doesn't work, in my opinion. Doesn't work at all. And I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not a guy, but like, I'm not a guy, but like, I don't know. I When I'm like on a big project and like shit's on the line somebody one of my friend or kind of work frenemies has already been murdered and like somebody's here who's kind of part of a sketchy operation what are you saying maybe i'm not gonna have sex with them so you're saying if you go to do an interview and you're in a high pressure situation then maybe you just have sex with the interview subject is that what you're telling me i'm just saying maybe in general never have sex with people you're working with yeah. I'm, I'm freaking out here because just last week you interviewed a william powell impersonator oh, oh kevin there was nothing to that uh, just just a bit of harmless fun <laughs> picking up my phone subtly to delete some thick pictures <laughs> yeah it's like it just it comes out of nowhere and this is where it's like because the movie's juggling so much and i'll give it credit it's like it's like juggling a shit ton. Mostly pretty well. But there's some things that kind of do... I mean, and the, I, I obviously, I mean, with the Kevin Spacey thing, that's sort of like in retrospect. But like with this specifically, character actions don't seem to match with character motivation. Obviously a problem. But it, but it furthers the plot, which is the goal. And the plot is to basically... Let Kevin, let ups, let Kevin, let Russell Crowe. <laughs> you always confuse me with Russell Crowe. <laughs> tell, tell them about your Russell Crowe story. Uh, it's not much of a story, but it, uh, <laughs> shortly after this film came out, 
I was in a rather serious romantic uh, relationship with a young lady who was not Anya. And this young... I hope not. Jesus Christ. Back in the 90s. Uh, it was a young lady who maintained that I looked very much like Russell Crowe. Which Kevin does not at all. <laughs> who did she? Who was your other lookalike, according to this woman? She said she couldn't decide if I looked more like Russell Crowe or Steven Spielberg. Absolute twins. Am I right, folks? <laughs> the relationship wasn't a long one, but it was intense. <laughs> have, have other people said you look like any celebrities? Are you fishing for that one particular story? Which one? Uh, I go to a comic book convention at an earlier stage in my life uh, where I, I was heavier than I am now. Uh, and and uh, I was bearded. Oh, God. And uh, at that point, someone stopped me. Ted, and, Ted Kaczynski? <laughs> and asked me if I would let him take a picture because he thought I was cosplaying uh, Peter Jackson. Oh, that's brutal. <sighs> I was just trying to live my life. <laughs> just trying to go around unmolested. Uh, you're often mistaken for celebrities no, like uh, Myrna Loy, uh, Greta Garbo. You're a very beautiful young lady is what I'm trying to say. Well, that's very sweet, but I don't look anything like those ladies. Who who would you say you, you look the most like? I don't I don't I think I look like a slightly out of shape brunette woman who is living her life. <laughs> I don't think I look like you a paint quite a picture. She's one of the world's great beauties. Oh please. You're so So and I'm an accurate and truthful reporter with excellent judgment. You're very sweet, but wrong. <laughs> but you're very sweet. I think some people said I looked a little bit like Stevie Nicks when I was younger. And that was very nice because I think she's pretty. Uh, you once appeared in a video on YouTube. We won't re reveal what that video was. Now, but Kevin, one of the one of the dirty. One of the commenters said you looked like Stevie Nicks' daughter. I was very flattered. I think she's beautiful. Didn't you say some uh, bartender once said you looked like some woman I'd never heard of? Yeah, kind of an indie actress. So that was nice. So an actress from Indiana? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> one of Indianapolis' own. <laughs> like Joyce DeWitt. <laughs> like Native the... of Speedway, Indiana. Wow. Carol Lombard, except she wasn't from Indy. She was just from Indiana. Right. So... Uh, sex scene happens. So the point of that was that uh, Dudley Smith, who is played by veteran character actor uh, James Cromwell, who is perhaps best known to uh, our audience as Dr. Abel Evergood from uh, Night Vet, he arranged this so that there would be pictures of Exley having sex with Bud White's girl so he could show Bud White the pictures and so then Bud White would go and kill Exley. So this confrontation happens, but then uh, Russell Crowe and uh, Guy Pierce said, well, we'll just work together and bring down this whole freaking mess. Let's go to a hotel and have a big shootout. Yeah, basically. And so then they go to the hotel. Have a big shootout. There's a big shootout. Sometimes you got to do it. Guys just being guys. Uh, 
Uh, Russell Crowe is injured but lives. Uh, Dudley Smith is killed by Guy Pierce, and that's pretty much the end of the picture. Yeah, <laughs> gotta love it. I love a good shootout, and I thought this one was exciting and fun. Kevin thought different. It's just you have this this complicated story, and you just end it with, "Ah, oh, let's have a." We we only got about twenty minutes left in the film. Let's just have people start shooting. Didn't you like the shootout in True Detective? I thought it was better handled. I almost feel like this could be a good L.A. Confidential could be a good story for like a mini series. You know, like if you wanted to make it a little bit more languid and include some of more of the details in the book, that could be a good sort of situation. Or even do one inspired by it. Doesn't have to be the same exact story, obviously. Right. Uh. So I, I was kind of thinking that, comparing it to True Detective, where it's like, these two temperamentally different individuals are going to team up to solve a murder, but it's not what it seems, and they get it wrong at first. And then they come back and look at it again a little bit later, and then they, they find out some other shit that tells you something's wrong with society. You've got it all worked out. I mean, isn't that basically it? Yeah. Yeah. True Detective LA! Or, the, or I guess... True Detective could be L.A. Confidential, Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I think for, I think for, um, I, I could understand being upset with a, with a climax like that instead of, you know, I guess what kind of climax would you want? I mean, you wouldn't want something too talky where it's just Dudley explaining, oh, see you, boy, oh, here's my evil Irish plan. You know, I mean, that wouldn't be very interesting either. So how do you end it? I'm just saying you build all this stuff up and you just end it with a shootout. It just seems too easy and cheap. And I've seen it before. Ah, fair enough, Boyo. But how do you end it? We don't want you to do your Irish characters. (laughs) I'm Irish, so I can do it. So, yeah. I think, though, I'll say for, for the level of stuff going on and level of complexity i think i have to give it credit for handling as much as it does with relative aplomb like there's not a we've, we've talked about some of the drop balls here and i don't want to act like it's a perfect movie but for the like the stuff that is going on it does seem to really kind of be able to juggle a lot of it pretty well so credit credit for that and it's an entertaining movie it's an entertaining movie it's it's a long movie but you're feeling like you're zipping along. It doesn't feel like a long. There's not long. dead spots in it. No, there's no dead spots. It's pretty. It's pretty lean for the most part. There's spots where people are dead. Right, right. But in terms of the action, and in terms of the intrigue, uh, it it really keeps things moving. And I thought it was just. I think it's a terrific movie. I think it's terrific, d- d- despite the flaws. I think it's good. You're not as you're not as big of a fan. Yeah, it's good. It's not great. You're more like L eh, confidential. <laughs> so that was my five star final. Now, what's your five star? I wrote final? your five star final for you. Thank you. <laughs> You're my ghost. It ends with uh, Exley getting a bunch of awards. Jack Vincennes is obviously dead, and uh, uh, Russell Crowe's gonna go live with Lynn, the prostitute lady. Who- they're gonna go live together, I guess. Um, I would say that I don't think it's a big secret that LA Confidential is a great movie. 
Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T O.